Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I am excited to talk to Alexis and you are probably not Smith anymore. What's your last name now? It's well, technically it's still Smith. It will be soon <laughs> officially be Cattleman. <laughs> okay. Cause she just got, she just got married recently and she's been so busy and she is an amazing woman. I have been so impressed by what she does on her, on her page on Instagram. And she has big dreams and plans of helping women um, understand that they need help and that eating disorders are a thing. And so I'm going to let her talk about that, but she is going to be talking a lot about these things today with perfectionism and body image and how we can get through these day-to-day um, things with our, um, our ourselves that can be really hard when we're really tough on ourselves. So welcome, Alexis. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Tell us about you. What, what, what is your story and what do you do? And yes, what are your plans for the future? Awesome. Well, a little bit just about me as a person first. Um, like, like Laura said, I just got married, which has been so fun and busy and crazy, um, but so exciting and so awesome. Um, and I just graduated from Utah Valley University with my bachelor's in psychology um, and then I have been very blessed to be accepted to grad school um, here at UVU as well. So I'll be studying clinical mental health counseling this coming fall and starting that program there. Um, and then eventually I will, I hope to be a licensed therapist. And then I'll kind of talk about my plans a little bit later. But to tell a little bit about my story, um, I experienced a lot of perfectionism growing up. Um, that kind of led to some depression in about seventh grade. And then in ninth grade, I set a goal to just be healthier. I just wanted to be healthier. I had just finished health class in eighth grade um, and was learning a lot about nutrition and uh, calorie counting, meal tracking, all that kind of stuff. And I set a goal for January 1st of 2017, I just wanted to be healthier. And I was going to do that by exercising more and eating better, um, which in my mind often meant eating less. Um, so as I, as I went through that, I had a Fitbit at the time, um, that I, and I asked for a Fitbit for Christmas and I had this Fitbit and I tracked everything on my Fitbit. Um, everything I tracked, all of my water intake, all of my exercise. Uh, I logged my weight every, every day. And then, um, sometimes, um, in the heat of my eating disorder, it was four or five times a day. Um, I logged all of my food down to like the butter, the salt and pepper, the gum that I chewed. It was just everything that I, everything that I did. Um, I, I planned out all my meals. I calorie calculated everything. Um, and I was, to be honest, I was good at it. I was really good at it. I thought a lot about numbers. Um, it was very quantitative for me. Um, I felt like I was in control of something. Um, no one knew that any of this was going on. I, I didn't tell anyone that I was counting calories. I didn't tell anyone that I was planning my food. Um, 
No one knew that I was logging my weight or anything like that. So all of it was kind of, uh, kind of a secret and, um, slowly, but surely things kind of spiraled out of control. And like I said, the goal throughout the whole process was just to become healthier. And I wanted to set habits starting when I was young, because I had always heard that it's easier to start now while you're young. And eventually when you're older, it'll be easier to maintain these healthy habits and blah, 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 which is also probably rooted in a lot of perfectionism. Um, but anyway, it started to spiral out of control. My, my mom in particular started to notice that things weren't quite right. Um, and eventually I was diagnosed with anorexia. Um, that was, that diagnosis was given to me by my pediatrician. Um, in October of 2017, I was in my, the beginning of my sophomore year of high school and, uh, I was admitted to primary children's hospital in Salt Lake, Utah, Salt Lake city, Utah. And I stayed there for about six or seven days. Um, I didn't know how long I was going to stay, but it ended up being about a week. Um, while I was in the hospital, they gave me a feeding tube, an NG feeding tube. So it went up my nose and then down my throat and into my stomach. And, um, so I, they, I used this feeding tube all day, every day while I was in the hospital. And then I also ate regular meals on top of that. And then I left the hospital with my feeding tube. I thought that when I left the hospital, they would remove my, my feeding tube, but, but that wasn't the case. Um, I went home with my feeding tube and I wasn't sure how long I was going to have that. Um, so some home health care, like a nurse came over to my house and met with me and they got kind of everything set up for us. So my my mom was the primary caregiver during that time. My dad was super supportive as well, but um, my mom was more of the person that that uh, programmed the feeding tube and um, got all the, the nutrients and stuff ready. And when I was at home, that I typically did uh, night feeds when, while I was sleeping. Um, and then I just wore the feeding tube throughout the day because I didn't want to take it in and out every day. It's very painful. Um, so that's kind of the option that I chose, um, was to do that. And after about two weeks, I still had my feeding tube. And so we decided that I was going to have to go back to school with my feeding tube. So I went back to school with my feeding tube. At this point, I was meeting with, um, a therapist once a week and my dietitian once a week, who was based out of primary children's hospital. So I was seeing both of them and I met with my pediatrician about every other week. Um, so there was a lot of appointments going on and slowly, but surely those appointments became fewer and far between. Um, I started meeting with the pediatrician once a month and then every other month and the dietitian every two weeks and then once a month and the therapist was once a week for the majority of the time until it became every other week. And then all about the mental seems. <laughs> yes. So it was, it was busy, but, um, and it took a, took months of recovery. Um, but eventually I had my feeding tube removed in February of 2018. So I had it from October of 2017 to February of 2018. Um, and that was a huge accomplishment for me. I was super stubborn, didn't want to follow my meal plan from my dietitian. Um, super defiant. And, um, I, I guess I finally got to a point where I decided I, I really didn't have a choice whether or not I was going to recover. Um, I was a minor and 
I had no choice but to go through the process of recovery. And so I figured I'm, I might as well just comply and, and do this the easy way than, than drag this out and make, make my life more miserable. I also think I started to recognize the things that my eating disorder could take from me, um, including my education. I had, I had a, a goal of graduating high school with my associate's degree. Right. And um, I knew that if I continue to be as defiant as I was that inpatient was going to be in my near future and that I would be sent to an inpatient facility. And if that were the case, I wouldn't be able to pursue my educational goals. And so that's when I really started to buckle down and, and fight for recovery. And then shortly after that, I decided that I really wanted to recover, um, which was a huge, a huge, um, breakthrough, I guess, for me is when I decided I actually want this for myself and I deserve this for myself, not just for my parents or for my doctors or my friends or anything like that. Like I, I, I deserved it for me. And, um, after that, I kind of, I, I reached weight maintenance, which I don't know what that was for me. Um, but they, they told me I did. So I was like, woohoo, good for me, uh, which means I had re- way <laughs> which means I had restored enough enough weight so that I was no longer malnourished um and which was really a night and day difference as soon as I was no longer malnourished everything really started to click into place um and it was amazing how quickly my my personality came back and um how quickly recovery went from there So that was kind of a defining moment in my recovery process as well. And then that summer, the summer after I was diagnosed, it had almost been a year was, was actually, was really quite, quite good. Um, It was kind of smooth sailing from there. And about um, a few months after that, the day I was diagnosed a year later, so October 9th of 2018, which was a year from my diagnosis is when I um, when I kind of de- declared myself fully recovered, um, that's the day I chose just because it was a year. Um, I mean, there's really not one day that you're fully recovered and the next, you know, not one day. And then the next day you are. So I just kind of picked that day as that day and things were going well. And so, um, ever since then I've considered myself fully recovered. I haven't experienced any, um, type of relapse, which I've been so incredibly grateful for. I do a lot of advocacy, which I think has significantly helped in preventing my eating disorder from creeping back in. Um, I don't struggle with um, a lot of orthorexia anymore, which is kind of, I, I've, like I said, I was diagnosed with anorexia, but, um, and we can talk about orthorexia if we, if we want to, but orthorexia kind of fits the description of my eating disorder a little bit better. Um, even though it's not technically in the DSM five, so you can't be diagnosed with it. Um, but ever since then I've been fully recovered and started participating in advocacy things with the national eating disorder association. So I've participated in a lot of NIDA walks, um, raising awareness, posting on social media. Um, I've done some legislative advocacy at the state Capitol, pushing for, um, the eating disorder prevention in schools act, um, so that they can get some, um, funding and awareness in schools and in health classes and that type of thing. And then I've also done a lot of motivational speaking, particularly to LDS youth groups um, about my experiences um, to girls camps, to stake 
you know, conferences to um, just mutual activity, all that kind of stuff. So I've shared my stories there. I've shared my stories with 4-H groups and, and non-religious settings as well. Um, and then I've published a workbook for eating disorder and mental health recovery. So that's available on Amazon or there's an ebook available. Um, that's just kind of like an instant digital download. What's it called? So those are some things that I'm doing. I also have a podcast um, that I've, I've interviewed a, a lot of really super cool people and, and interviewed with them about mental health in general. So I've always thought that that was super awesome. And that's kind of the path that I hope to continue to take is to specialize in eating disorder treatment and um, eventually open my own private practice and hire on other clinicians that are specialized in other areas to have a very well-rounded mental health facility. Yes. Oh, I love that. Your story is incredible. And it's been really, as I was listening, I've, I've been really seeing that this is something that needs to happen for you to then be able to later on go and advocate like you're saying, and how beautiful it is that you're trying to do that at that level of the state. Like you said, that's amazing to help younger kids, even younger to understand and know this. And, um, because that's where it starts. It is a lot of what they're seeing from their parents, but we can't really control the parents necessarily less getting the word out there. But if there is any way to help in the schools, that will be really great for them. I wish I would have known. And, um, yeah. And me growing up in like the nineties, like it was such a thing it, that this wasn't in the conversation at all. And I'm so glad it's becoming more and more in the conversation to, to help people see that that's not where their worth comes from. And this, and it doesn't need to be about weight. It doesn't need to be about, um, of course with health classes, like to be taught that that's really, that's not necessarily how it should be that's not the healthy, but these, these kids have a desire to be healthy. Just like you did. I did too. And I remember when I was 15, we were going to go on a family cruise and I didn't eat sugar. That was my first, I think real diet. And, um, and even though it's not formal, like it's, it, it really set that pattern. So that's amazing. And I wanted to ask you though, too, um, what the name of your workbook is and I know where to go. Yeah. It's called the complete recovery workbook. Um, and then the subtitle is your guide to eating disorder and mental health recovery. Okay, perfect. Well, let's, let's jump into talking about a topic, whether it be the perfectionism, the, um, having what it is that you would tell people when they need to get that help or, um, intuitive eating, but I'm kind of feeling like I liked what you said before we started talking about what they should do when they want to get started to feel like they know that something's up and they need help, whoever it is that's listening or know someone that is struggling. What, what is it that you would tell them and how you would have them start? Uh, I think that it's, <laughs> it's really tricky um, because at one point I remember kind of telling myself that Lexi, like, I was like, I, I think you have uh, an eating disorder. And cause I was like, this isn't, this isn't normal. Um, other people aren't experiencing the same feelings and thoughts and, and doing the same ritual things that I am doing uh, when it comes to food. And so 
I kind of admitted that to myself. And then I remember thinking, and now what, what am I supposed to do? Like now that I have this information, am I just supposed to walk up and say, Hey mom, I think I have an eating disorder. Like what, what are you supposed to do? You know what I mean? Um, honestly, that is what I would do. That's what I would suggest um, is, is going to a trusted individual as scary as it is and saying, Hey, I'm not sure. I, I mean, it kind of depends on your situation, but you could say, I just don't, I think I have an eating disorder. My, I don't think I have a, a good relationship with food um, or something of that sort. It's easier. Um, I shouldn't say easier. It's ideal, I guess, the earlier an eating disorder is caught, um, typically because the quicker and the fuller the recovery. Um, so it's, it's better to catch an eating disorder more quickly. Um, there's also a ton of resources, um, a lot of books, a lot of accounts, a lot of podcasts. I have, I mean, I could list them all, but it's probably easier if I just send them to the list of resources um, on my Instagram account, which is at every ounce of strength on Instagram. I have a highlight called resources and there's an, a link to a bunch of um, Amazon books that you can purchase, podcasts that you can listen to. Um, so free resources and um, some books and courses and things that that you can have access to that can kind of help in your process of recovery. Seeing a therapist is always the most ideal situation. Um, it kind of depends on where you're located and what resources you have. Um, but seeing a therapist is probably your best bet. As far as not knowing whether or not you have an eating disorder, one of my favorite resources is the National Eating Disorder Association. They have both a helpline, a chat, and um, a screening tool. And that screening tool is completely anonymous. It's just a little survey that you can answer with some questions that they'll ask um, about body image, weight, uh, food habits, and things like that. And then towards the end of the survey, it'll kind of tell you where they think you're at. And obviously this isn't completely accurate because it's just an automated survey, but um, it'll kind of give you an idea of a better insight of your relationship with food and kind of tell you maybe where you should go from there. So that's one of the, a, a great resource that I also recommend just because it is completely anonymous, totally free, um, pretty easy. And, and that's one way that you can, you can kind of get started, I guess, on healing your relationship with food. Hey, I, I love that you know these things. I didn't know these things because I talk more to the people that maybe don't have quite the severity of the eating disorder because I'm not necessarily qualified to be doing that, but to getting people before they get to that point. So if they can catch themselves before that, if there are these three things like that, you know, and that's what I think is just so wonderful. We're, we're together as a team trying to help people in that way in wherever they're at. I just feel like disordered eating can quickly become eating an eating disorder. And, um, that's definitely how it was for me. I, and when you name it, I feel like you can tame it. That's a, that's an actual quote. Um, no, I can't think of who said it, but it is a quote, look it up that it really has power when you actually can say, I do have this problem. You put it out into the ether. Like it's there. I've, I've said it. 
and to tell someone that you trust, um, whether it is like if you're younger and you have to tell your parents, or if it's you're older and you need to tell your spouse and you tell your your mom if or just a friend that you're very close to that can really that really loves you and wants to help you. And that's how it was for me, the same way where I am um, a little bit my story of being um a mother of three. And it's kind of started, of course, when I was 15 and going through the teenage years through the 2000s and, you know, all the um, diet culture that's wrapped with that. But my baby started, um, I had a baby and then, um, of course, I wanted to get bounced back, you know, and my husband's a personal trainer on this side and we always worked out together and I we always kept ourselves really fit. And I was also a health coach and I had helped people lose weight. I just started that business. So I wanted to practice what I preach, but my baby had also, um, created, had, had also started having a, um, a lactose intolerance to my breast milk. If I had anything that way that I had eaten that she would, she would be wailing for hours. And so it became clear that I needed to work on that and not have any, um, dairy in my diet, but it became an obsession. Then once I've, after that time of getting over that and not having dairy, for her sake. I'm like, wow, I could do that. I could do that with many things. I started doing that with me. started doing that with gluten and just became like this high. Of course I was still, but I was still nursing her. I ended up only not nursing her as long as I had in the past because I didn't think I was nourished enough, I think. And, um, I had had the, um, depression and that I had suicidal thoughts come to me and I had had, um, a cousin commit suicide um, a couple years before that. And I had told myself at the time that if I ever got to that point, I really need to get help because I've always had depression on and off with having kids. It's just, and it runs in our family that I would get help. And I noticed those thoughts starting to come and having hard time with my husband working so much and marital issues and family issues. And, uh, anyway, I, had gone to inpatient for my suicidality and it wasn't necessarily eating disorders yet. Cause I had to get out of survival mode and, um, was away from my family for a month. Once I got better in that way, I did notice that I also needed to face another demon. Cause I still wasn't, I wasn't suicidal, but I was still very depressed. I was safer, but that, um, I, it was probably because I still had this eating disorder underneath of the orthorexia. I feel like it always stems from dis- body dysmorphia where it starts that you are wrong. You feel like you are wrong. Your body is wrong. And then feeding into either the anorexia orthorexia, they kind of go hand in hand sometimes. And then the binge eating, I was binging about two, three times a week and then, um, getting some outpatient help. Um, but whatever, whatever people need, it is there. I didn't need the full on inpatient, um, eating disorder treatment anymore. Cause I had already done that in a different way with mental health, but that, um, it could be outpatient. And then it, it, and I was able to do process groups and go, it was kind of a little part-time job there for, for a while going in for about 10, about 15 hours a week to total with getting therapy and dietitians and going to the groups and you have to eat the meals there once a day. And, um, it just, And then I weaned off, like you're saying, it's, these people are here to help you and they love you. And I still see my therapist and they are, it's such a thing that 
that's what I think people need the most is that therapy and that help with their mental. So let's speak to that a little bit as we're getting closer on time. I guess that'll be our last thing. We've had a lot to say on this mental health piece. Um, and you had mentioned um, before we talked that this hope is a really big um, driving. It's kind of the gas in the car to really make things go along. There is hope and um, therapy brings in that community aspect as well. Um, at least with that one person that you have and tell me more about that with mental therapy, um, community, what helped you? Yeah, I think therapy is really, really super awesome. Um, and like I said, my eating disorder was my first experience with therapy since my eating disorder. Um, after I was fully recovered, I, I quit going to therapy. Um, and then I, since then I've been back, um, for other just general anxiety, depression type, um, things and therapy has still been significantly helpful, um, in my life. It's something that I think should be more available and there should be more access to therapy and to treatment, um, just to maintain mental health. Um, what I think is super important is that, um, a lot of times the number one in five will be kind of thrown out there of the, the amount of individuals who, uh, will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their life is typically about one in five individuals. Um, but what's really important is that five out of five people have mental health and that has to be maintained. It has to be worked on um, in order to actually maintain a good quality of life. Um, and so I think that that is what's super, super important is that therapy was never meant to be um an afterthought, it was meant to be a proactive measure, um, for mental health. And, and I think that there's still so much stigma surrounding therapy, um, that we need to talk about it more, um, talk about its benefits, include it in our conversations, um, include it in legislation, include it in, um, education and include more psychoeducation in our schools, um, I think that those those are great options um, that we should start implementing. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that therapy was just so impactful for me, obviously. And I'm excited to kind of be on the opposite end of that as I go through grad school um, and as I become a licensed therapist. I'm excited to see the benefits of my clients um, and them overcoming their eating disorders through therapy. Um, I, with eating disorder recovery, oftentimes a lot of people will mention that full recovery isn't available, um, for an eating disorder that it's, um, you'll always be kind of recovering. Um, you'll never be fully recovered. And to that, um, I say that it is, that, that is false. Um, I, unfortunately, not everyone has the same access and availability to the resources that I had to become fully recovered, but I do believe that everyone has the capacity, um, despite the systemic issues, um, to become fully recovered. And, um, I think that that's hopeful that this isn't something that you have to struggle with for the rest of your life. It can be something of the past. Um, and typically to those that are struggling, one of the messages that I like to send is to trust that recovery is real and trust that it is worth it. And I promise you that you want to recover. Um, 
And if anything, just trust in that for a little bit, just hold on. Um, and I, I promise you, it'll be so, so worth it. I love that. That's such a good message of hope for them. And, um, you, you're just like, I, I was saying before, you're sharp as a tech, you're super brilliant and you have so much that's going to be ahead of you with what you, what you're going to do. And, um, building over time in that way, I could tell that you're going to be making some changes in your own sphere. And if we all do that together, we're able to then make this world better in that way to help women see that. And then men too. I mean, my husband, he has his own mental health and he's not necessarily rejecting diet culture that way. And we sometimes, um, we kind of rough on each other, but we, we still find some way to come to solid ground because we do agree on mental health. And I think a lot of people are starting to do that. They do see, okay, there's something more to the, just the physical that it is, it is being manifested by the way we're, what we're thinking in our mind then kind of comes out, whether it be the anxiety, the depression, I feel like a pendulum swings for not balance. We either hype up when we go to the anxiety or we shut down and we go to the depression. And I know I've, I've been full both ways. It seems like you have too, but we want to get people to that middle ground of finding balance not have this dichotomous thinking of black or white thinking that it all needs to be perfect. A lot of us can be perfectionistic if we're in the realm of eating disorders. It's really smart people that actually have eating disorders and that have the OCD that way with eating, with it being, I'd like to call that orthorexia, OCD with eating. Um, and um, I think you're now using that that knowledge and that that's really brilliant brain of yours to really going towards some really great things. So I'm really grateful for having you here today on the podcast and I appreciate your story. This is years in the making for us, for you to be able to speak to this to us today. So thank you for your story and what you're doing. Thanks for having me. So go follow her on every ounce of strength on Instagram. And then what is your website and any else you'd want people to lead to? My website is kind of long. I'd recommend just going to my Instagram and then clicking on the link in my bio. If I'm being honest, <laughs> if you really want to go to it's every ounce of strength.wixsite.com slash every ounce. Um, but my Instagram is at every ounce of strength on Instagram. And then my workbook is the complete recovery workbook, um, your guide to overcoming eating disorder and mental health. And um, it, that is under Alexis Smith. Okay, great. That is so cool that you have that worked out and that's in print. That's really great. <laughs> have it um, physically there. And for those listening to, you can follow me at Laura Cragen on Instagram and same, same website as well. And I do coaching and um, I'd love to help people before they get to that point of eating disorders and helping women, especially I work with Latter-day Saint women, especially, but Whoever would love that help, um, we're both here for you and just getting any resources. I think you said you had resources on your page too on Instagram. I do too. And um, hope that you know that there you have a community within us and many, many people. So thanks for being here today, Alexis. Thank you.